What started four years ago, and all of a sudden we became the Fellowship of Freedom Fighters. When I started in this job as an addiction professional, as a practitioner, all my patients would go, yeah, I got six weeks clean, I got eight years clean, and, and it sounded as almost it didn't really mean anything. They want somebody to love on them and be real with them. I hate when they use the word clean, it's it's because the people who don't know, it becomes a stigmatizing mention. Oh, yeah, well, you're clean now. Well, what were you, dirty? No, you're not. And, and it has such a propaganda feel. There's such a stigmatizing it. My beautiful wife said, well, you fought for this country. What'd you fight for? Freedom. Oh, my gosh, freedom. Nobody in their right mind could denigrate the word freedom. Let's live your freedom. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening in as we talk with leaders in our community. Jeffrey Godfrey has a Facebook Live that happens several times a week called Recovery Gone Viral 2.0. For people in recovery to encourage one another. He also works with Conquer Addiction Clinics. Jeffrey Godfrey, Recovery Gone Viral 2.0, and it is really something. Why don't you tell us about it? Lori, thank you for having me on your show today. I am, I'm really excited to spread the word. That's so recovery gone viral, but wait, there's more. Started in the early, early days of COVID. I am a nurse practitioner who absolutely adores working with healing people in recovery. I don't care what they're recovering from. It can be substances. It can be behavioral stuff. I don't care because that is what true healing is all about, recovery. I was seeing a lot of my patients falling off, using again. There were a number of my patients I found out had OD'd, the isolation because of COVID four years ago. So we started. My bosses said, just give a little, a quick five-minute blurb. Just get everybody in engaged again and have them come to their appointments. Well, within a week, are people asking questions and people wanting to connect and people wanting on board. Over the four years that we've been doing this, we've had 14 suicide saves. We had many, many more during the first year of COVID. We keep them on the show. I go and see other patients and my, like Vanessa and Stephanie and Lynette and Mike McNeil and all the folks who have been with this since the inception, they kept the person on the show and then they would call or my medical assistants would call, find out where they were and we'd get a, a care visit from 911. It was really cool. Then, oh my gosh, Lori, I got to tell you, the coolest thing is when we started inducting especially with fentanyl. Fentanyl is such a scourge. It's such a horrible, horrible drug. And you never know what you're going to get. Everybody has heard it in in the world. So I'm not going to really get into it, except as a provider, I don't want to see another person on my watch because I'm an old army medic as well. I don't want to see another one get killed from anything that can be prevented. I invited this one kid and his mom because he tried many times to get free of the the fentanyl and was having such a hard time. What we did is over a week, we just kept telling him, use the least amount, the very tiniest bit. And then he came into my office. I had him induct the Suboxone there with me. When he left that evening, oh my gosh, his mom was so happy. And he goes, oh my God, I can feel it now. And I have been working with politicians, with law enforcement, with judicial folks through my journey of being a better and better and better nurse practitioner for people in addiction. 
So that's how it got started, and it's kept going. And we've got people all over the world. We've got Shoresh in India. We've got Denise in Scotland there. She's just so great. You know, she gets on. And we've got Heather. Heather this morning comes on. Their journeys have been assisted for everyone else because they feel comfortable to just open up and say, you know, I'm having problems with the father of my kids that he wants to take them away and I'm so mad and it's impacting my my recovery and my freedom from whatever substances. People would just continue to just provide advice. And you know what? It resonated with so many people and she practiced it. Now they are working as co-parents. They're not together. And yet the boys, her boys are doing great up in Canada, and she's gotten rid of the anger. And I just feel so honored. People will listen, and I get a little goofy. And I think I had an old doctor, my mentor, Dr. Royal Ansbach from Texas. He had been an Army doctor way back, probably in World War One. I. I mean, was that? No, no, not. He said, Jeffrey. If your patients ain't leaving your exam room with a little chuckle or a grin, you ain't doing their healing right. So I bring guests on the show. Well, you got to see Einstein, and I like Boiny, Boiny, and and I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I think they're they're kind of getting. They, I caught them dancing, you know, the oh. other day. <laughs> you said you want Back to the Future. You want that finger puppet? No, Marty. Okie doke. Two point two five gigawatts, and recovery is the way of life. Okay, John Wayne. Well, yep. Get those wagons uh, in a circle now. (laughs) Well, I tell you, Laha, you got to listen and listen tight here, Pilgrim. I just happened to catch it this morning. Is it every day at the same time? Well, lately, because I'm I'm working a lot, it's only three days a week. And I'm going to see if we can't do it every day. That's my dream is to populate volunteers to keep it on 24-7. And if somebody in New York wants to talk about how to get off the fentanyl or the meth or whatever, somebody picking up the late night in Hawaii can say, hey, listen, we let's let's just talk. And, and I would love to have that connection all over the world where people would volunteer, would leave a mark for one another. That's my goal. So right now we're on Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays at 9.20 in the morning. One thing I notice with people in recovery, because, you know, that's what I do. I teach people to become recovery coaches. What I know is they want to give back. And so I love that idea of having them volunteer and staying on and keeping it live. But what I really loved about today and I think with COVID, a lot of people really suffered from loneliness. And what happened in the recovery world is anyone who had like a job at a grocery store, they became essential. Mm-hmm. Their confidence grew, their value grew, but also there was this loneliness. And what I noticed when I came on in the beginning of Facebook Live, people did this. They would talk to whoever was on, but we don't see that so much anymore And what I recognized is you were pointing people out and that you remembered things about them. Hey, did you have that party? Did you have that get together? And what really stood out to me is some people had had some bad things happen and you didn't go all, well, at least you were like, man, that sucks. You really validated where they were. I felt like I was a fly on the wall in this community of people that were just trying to, it wasn't negative, even though there were hard things that you talked about. And probably a lot of it is because you do bring that humor. The problem in recovery is people that don't understand it, they just want to fix the people. 
Okay, you're off the drugs. Do better. I'm, I'm going to give a huge shout out to um, another mentor of mine, Steve Daggett, a 20 plus year veteran of the Navy with his own journey of recovery. He has taught me so much. He's a psychologist over on Whidbey Island. And what he has said is, you know, Jeff, when's the last time somebody took a Tylenol for the headache they did not have? And I'm like, Absolutely. It's it's the underlying. Let's find the causative feature. Because doctor in Latin means teacher, I need to use that. I love teaching. I love watching people go, oh, wait, that makes sense. I'm going to do that. What I believe is matching the holistic manner of mind, body, spirit with the causative factor. Sure. Okay. So you're doing a boatload of heroin and fentanyl and meth. And you're doing the meth because the heroin's making you sleep, but you got to keep a job because you got to buy them. Okay. I get it. It's this horrible whirlpool of continuing to chase. And that's not the disease. Yet society sees that as the, well, shoot, I, I don't drink and I don't take heroin and, and I can hold a job. But yet could it have been? anxiety? Could it have been isolation as a child? Could it have been trauma? Could it have been PTSD? Could it have been anything, anything organic by allowing the person to get the splint? I love prescribing Suboxone. So many docs say, well, are you going to be prescribing it forever? Maybe not. Maybe it depends on my patient. It depends on how that person is doing. And do I need to provide a chemotherapy or a splint to a broken bone to allow the person then to heal intrinsically from the inside out? And that's how all healing happens. Then what I get to do is say, you know what? At least we've got you protected right now. I feel so much more confident that you're not going to go out and overdose on some fentanyl. Now we can really do the hard work. Tell me what happened. And if you don't feel comfortable telling me, find a therapist. And that's part of my job is to find a, a good fit. And I we do that. And then we start broadening the the educational part, part of how to heal. Most American Practitioners believe in cure. You, you hear it on the on the pharmaceutical. We can cure it. No, you can't. I don't believe in cure. I believe in healing. We can heal, and all healing leaves a scar, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual. And that what does that scar tissue do? That scar tissue allows you to be strong where the injury happened. It has regrown and recovered, and it has covered over all the bad stuff that happened previously. So why not live the philosophy of healing and bring it back? And that's why when I really get on the regimen, when I get a brand new first patient, this is the first thing that you're, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things, new patient. Okay. What's that? Well, I want you to wake up every morning and I don't care how crappy that day looks out there. You greet it with an affirmation. And you say, hello day. And I guess it had to be a gray sleeting day, but I'm going to have a good day. I'm just, I, I woke up, I took another breath and you jump out of that bed. You make the bed, just like the Admiral told us all that I used to do in the yard. And it works, doggone it. You come back to a, after a cruddy day, you come back to a nicely made rack. Hey, it's like I had a, a hotel. And then you run into the bathroom. And you drink, I start my folks on 60 to 20 ounces of hot water, drink the hot water. And if you're a Suboxone person, after you drink the hot water, then you put your Suboxone in and journal a little bit of what you're going to do for that day. So you develop a tactical manual. Once that becomes inculcated and my patients go, oh my gosh, Jeff, I never knew that, that, you know, they gave me the Suboxone in the jail and they had me swallow it and it worked. Yeah, I didn't have, but this gives me clarity of mind. 
oh my gosh, and then they grin, and then that grin becomes infectious, and then and then they want more of that because they know there's the three parts of human being, mind, body, spirit, is now healing together. Sure, is it going to leave scar tissue? Yeah, I got a boatload of it. We just got to make it more malleable and make it work for us. I love that. I love a daily routine. And I remember a comedian once said, you know, are you one of those who wakes up and says, oh, good Lord, it's morning? Or are you like, good morning, Lord? You know, <laughs> some people listening may not know exactly what Suboxone is or medically uh, treated recovery. Oh, I would love to. But wait, that's my that's my soapbox. OK, medically assisted treatment is designed for the person who has very strong uh, responses to and, and, and Suboxone is used for opiates heroin, Percocet, fentanyl, any of the opiates, morphine, even Kratom. And we can talk about that later, too. It's interesting because Kratom is an opiate-like substance. What Suboxone does, it's a partial opiate agonist. So in your mu receptor, the opiates fit perfectly right in the little receptor. They just fill the little receptor. The little receptor goes, hallelujah, you gave me some heroin or some opiates, and I can't feel the pain and my neural connections, and you're changing your brain pathways with the little molecule of the opiate. Now, what happens, imagine, you know how when you split logs with either an ax or, or that, that wedge? Suboxone is the wedge because it's a partial opiate agonist. So it fits onto a portion, it pops the opiates off, and it opens up the mu receptors, and then all of a sudden, guess what? The neurotransmitters start going back and forth just like they were designed by our wonderful creator. Oh, my gosh. Then the suboxone sticks in there longer than the opiate, and eventually you're going to process whatever opiate out through the hepatic and the urinary tract, and you'll get rid of it, and then you have no more. And it's very protective from the overdose potential of opiates because it's only partial. It only fits in a portion of that mu receptor. And then any of the circulating opiates can't fit back in. It's really important to take it correctly. Now, for alcohol, I love, 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 love prescribing naltrexone or Vivitrol. It takes away the desire to drink. I remember prescribing punitive alcohol medications like Anabuse. So you take a sip of the of the booze and you puke your toenails up. Yeah, you know what is that's like trying to beat the dog for just sniffing on the table during Thanksgiving. No, let's not beat anything. Let's just gently correct, and we'll do Pavlov's dog. If it's healthier and you just don't have the desire, then the discussions become more clear about how you're going to heal what happened and why you were drinking or why you were taking this. Now, we don't have really a lot of good stuff for the uh, for the stimulants, for the methamphetamines. We're still working on that. There are some new drugs coming, but those are all types of medication assistance that you use. And, and this is what I tell my patients, because everybody on the in this country, I bet you, let's say 96%, know what chemotherapy is all about. If somebody has cancer, you go to chemotherapy, you sit in the chair, they stick you with needles and an IV and the stuff's going through and you're feeling like crap and your hair falls out, yet you will go and you will take that chemotherapy to work on killing that cancer until you can then heal again and you're in remission and then your body heals itself, right? So chemotherapy is a great tool. So why not look at Suboxone and Vivitrol as the chemotherapies? So no stigma. You know, I, I've seen so many people, you know, you're just substituting one for another. No, it's not. It's a different thing. Are, are you going to blame 
the um, diabetic for having to take insulin because they couldn't keep away from the sugary stuff. And we tried with the orals until finally their pancreas flogged itself enough and you have to give them outside the body insulin to make them live. Same thing. However, the beauty with Suboxone and Vivitrol and the medications that we do use for medication-assisted treatment, it gives that springboard to say, wait a minute, hey, no cravings. And the most beautiful thing, somebody will be in withdrawal and you give the Suboxone just at the right time, withdrawals go right away because you got the partial opiate. So they stop puking, they stop putting their um, sweat horizontally off their body, the nose stops running like Niagara Falls, and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, look at me, no withdrawals. Then you can have that connected discussion of, okay, now let's dig down deep and find out what's going on, and let me help you in addition to me being your medical provider. That's basically the philosophy in everything in a nutshell, and I quite love Suboxone. I think it's a brilliantly created drug. And so many people say, well, I don't want to be on it forever. Okay, fine. I'm your provider. You tell me when you think it's time for you to come off. Allow me to have my opinion. You want to come off in two weeks? Yeah, I don't think so. But maybe. However, you've been on it for 18 years. Don't you think, come on, let's see what we can do. We wean it down. And it's it's this wonderful connection between the intimacy of medicine between one person and another. It's not one size fits all. We work it all together and holistically. I'm glad that people are starting to understand it more because I've worked in this field for a while and somebody would be on Suboxone and then their housing would say, oh, no, sorry, we don't allow that. So now they've got, okay, I'm off the drugs, but I got to still live on the streets. I love the way you explained it as you're not substituting one for the other. You're actually creating a healing environment where they can be free of everything. Thank you. That is how we need to put this word out. It's an evolutionary process. We're always changing. Yet when we become so pedantic and so stuck, the old stuff, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Maybe we can look at it. It's not a substitution. Maybe we can look at it as freedom. That's why I use the the term chemotherapy and, and it tends to resonate with people. The other people who said, well, it's just a drug. You know what? That's stigma. And stigma kills so many more people too. Why not we all band together in compassion? And that leads to love and understanding and listening. When I was an old ER nurse, I remember doctors, we'd have heroin addicts come in. They would show us some injury, tended to come in often at late night when shift was getting ready and it was a busy Friday night and the moon was out. My old docs, one was a Vietnam doc too, and he knew that I was in the first cab reconnaissance unit, second and the eighth cab, and I was a, a medic and the, the assistant gunner for that team. He'd say, and I could hear him under his, another drug seeker. And you know what? I respected him. So what did I do? I parroted to him. Then one day I was teaching a resident I had worked another shift the night before at a different hospital, and the same woman came in screaming with a broken arm and bruising, and the arm was all busted up, and I started the morphine, and then we got the x-ray. It was broken. I didn't look at it close enough. It just was obviously deformed. All of a sudden, one of the other nurses gave her her prescription, and I go back in to tell her, we really think you ought to get a um, an ortho She's gone. So she had a prescription. She got a boatload of morphine on board and yanked out the IV and was gone. If I look at it back now, doctors and nurses in the emergency department had continued that behavior, made it easy because 
with that statement, oh, just get out of my ER, just another drug seeker, and discounted this human being until I had a resident, and I knew I had to teach this resident. So I said, wait a minute, um, I'm a little busy, just hold off on the IV, maybe she'll need a surgery. Then I ordered the stat, x-ray, in it went. Now, doctor looks at me and goes, I told you it was broken. I said, look close, Brad. And the bone ends had calcified, but she kept the arm broken. She continued to keep that arm broken so she could get more and more opiates from ERs. And then I thought, whoa, this is a systemic problem. This is a whole community. What are we doing to this woman? We're giving her meds. This is some human being with so much pain. And that's my epiphany. And that's when I changed because I looked at the doctor and I got out of ER nursing. I went to the nurse practitioner program. I started working in pain first. And then I realized pain leads to something. We need to work addiction and match pain and addiction, whether it's psychological. That's my confession and my epiphany. I want to listen to everybody's what got them started. So often a roofer fell off a roof and the doc couldn't do surgery. It wasn't a surgical thing. So started giving him pain meds and he realized, oh, it makes my PTSD of watching my parents fight all the time when I was 15 and divorced. That's gone. When my wife cranks on me, I feel like I'm brought back into that kind of thing. That's gone. The opiates did. So what did they connect? Yes, they blocked any pain transmission. So you don't get to work with it. You don't get to heal it. I remember with alcohol, the recovery rate for so long was 15%. Recovery rates now by ASAM is between the 18 to 22%. Now we're doing harm reduction. So if you're using less or you're making sure that you're safe, is that kind of recovery? Yeah, it's a step toward recovery. When people say total abstinence, it might not be available for that human being at that moment. Are we working toward it? Damn straight, Skippy. I want to work toward that to my patients. Okay, now we're off the fentanyl and the, and the heroin and the meth. And you never had a problem with alcohol. Yeah, no, I never liked the alcohol. But you probably started when you were a kid. That's kind of, well, yeah, but once I found pills, okay, fine. But that's okay. Are you still smoking? Well, so when you're ready to do that one, let me know. And we're going to work on that one, too. The lady on today, she's off of the heroin and the fentanyl. She's off the methamphetamines. And she had dates for each one. And then finally, 15 months off of cigarettes. She's been on the show for two years. I love the snowball effect because as the snowball gets bigger, it crushes the stigma in front of it and it then supports its own momentum. I really am looking toward people who are willing to be open, and I'm willing to listen without judgment. There's no stigmatizing glance and not rolling my eyes. And I did. I did when I was like that nurse in the ER. Now, there has to be the flip side. How many times have people gone to AA meetings, NA meetings, and they were taking a little something? I'm Billy Bob, and I got uh, 14 months, and yeah, but you're still doing a little something. Well, you know, I got to get up early in the morning to, to work at my job because I got to drive to Olympia every day at three o'clock in the morning. You know, it's, it's just meth. It's not my drug of choice. We constantly try to excuse ourselves, and it's okay. And that's when, can you do me a favor, Billy Bob? Really get into the hot water thing for a week. Let's see what happens in a week. And really keep yourself away from the meth. I've had a number of people starting to feel sick. When I get that comment, they need to develop a rapport with me and, and a trust. It's not instantaneously the first 15 minutes and we get along. No, no, it's got to, we got to build on this. This is a definite therapeutic relationship. We got to develop trust. So then I hear, well, you know, I, I am doing a little meth. Okay. When is the last time 
in the dictionary, drug dealer meant really honorable guy. Because my drug dealer told me there's no fentanyl in the mouth. Okay, Billy Bob, really? And and you're telling me that the suboxone's making you sick a little bit. Uh, well, there's a cross-contamination. Their eyes get huge and they go, oh, man. Wow, you make so much. I love that. I'm like, I'm standing shoulder to shoulder and, and I didn't have to shake your nothing. I just had to make something funny. And it goes back to what I've heard you say so many times about our mind can change our brain. We're talking to Jeffrey Godfrey with Recovery Gone Viral 2.0. It's a Facebook group on Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays and Thursdays. And you also work with Conquer Addiction Clinics. Someone wants to get a hold of you. What's the best way to do that? Best way is through Conquer Addiction, Conquer Clinics. And that number is 206-552-0882. That number again, 206-552-0882. And you got to know he had his hand up to his ear like the (laughs) national announcers. Jeffrey, before we go, what do you really want people to know? Love themselves enough to put back any stigmatizing, any fear, any shame. Just put it away. Find somebody you can work with. Watch the show. And if you feel comfortable, say, you know what? I'm still using. Okay, we'll work on it because we want to meet you where you're at. Just love yourself enough. There is no shame in saying, oh man, this is kind of horrible for me as a human being. I don't want to do this anymore. When you're ready, come find somebody that you can trust. Find somewhere, wherever it is, and live your best life. Love yourself enough and know that you're good enough to do your best for today. And I'll be praying for you. That's so beautiful. Okay. What do you want parents and family members of an addict? What do you want us to know? Okay, this is a whole nother show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe we'll have to do another one. Every single parent that I've met over the decade that I've been doing this, they're so afraid that they're going to walk down the basement and see a dead kid. That's what they're afraid of. And they get so mad because they've been manipulated. Yeah, I blew my tire out, Aunt Ma, and um, can you wire me um, 57 bucks? And they do. Mm-hmm. And then people find out and we'll know, okay, the lying is just a symptom. It's not, this person is not a liar. They're so embarrassed and they're so stuck that that's what they feel. And that's what they've learned over time. So let's break the manipulation and go with eyes wide open. Now, being strong and non-judgmental, yet being firm and have boundaries. You can find Jeffrey at Recovery Gone Viral 2.0 on Facebook or Conquer Addiction Clinics in Monroe, Washington. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening in today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we talk with people that are making a difference.